This is the Early Link Podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. The Early Link Podcast is brought to you by Children's Institute. Today, we're back for a third round, a policy recap with uh, Dan Hepper here from CI as well, and James Barta from Children First for Oregon. Welcome. Thank you. Great timing now that the legislative session is officially over. It's been quite a couple of weeks. Republican senators had been uh, missing from the state legislature. They came back on Saturday. Give us a recap about what happened. So the Republicans stated their opposition to uh, the cap-and-trade bill. Uh, They had various demands, but in general, they were just upset at the direction of the legislature. And so advocates were left wondering what's going to happen to the 100-plus bills that uh, remained. And there was talk of a special session. In fact, up to just a few days ago, I was expecting it. But uh, through the rapid work over the last two days, uh, there's no need for a special session. So Republicans came back Saturday more than, I mean, we're looking at 150 bills that went through and and the session finished by end of day Sunday. Yeah. In fact, uh, I was half expecting to go to midnight, but in fact, they were done seven hours early. (laughs) And uh, I would just add that a lot of the bills that the Early Childhood Coalition and Early Childhood Advocates were asking for were broadly supported bills. There wasn't controversy on the bills that were outstanding that we cared about that were kind of sitting in wait, but they had to sit there nonetheless. The Senate couldn't conduct any business, even non-controversial business. So we were very anxious that the Senate Republicans would return and they would be able to get through these bills. Otherwise, the legislative session would have ended automatically at midnight on June 30th. All of the hard work we put in all session would have just gone away. All these bills would have died. So we're glad they came back and were able to finish. And it was amazing on Saturday, especially because typically uh, when introducing a budget measure, there's something we call in the legislature a pony that is written by the legislative fiscal office to demonstrate what the intent of the budget is. But they did not read those. They simply submitted them in writing into the record. And so it was the fastest I think anyone has ever seen the budget bills move through the legislature. Mm -hmm. Well, after all that, it's good to see things wrap up on time. Uh, One of the things we've talked quite a bit about is the Student Success Act over the past few months that passed uh, both the House and the Senate. Many of the early childhood priorities were part of that bill. Many of the priorities of the Early Childhood Coalition, things like preschool, funding for early intervention, early childhood special education. But there are a number of things that weren't part of that, including support for home visiting, for child care. And those were in the final bills of the session that got signed and passed over the weekend. Let's touch on those. Yeah. So um, one of the bills that was able to go through both the chambers and then get funded in the Oregon Health Authority is a bill to allow all um, families when they have a new baby to get a visit from a nurse who will be available at the parent's discretion to come to their home and just ask them how things are going, ask them what they're struggling with, what support they need. This is based off of something that already exists across the state in North Carolina, and a number of counties in Oregon have been trying this out, trying these nurse home visits out, and have really been having a great experience. So we're excited for this universally available 
home visiting to start to spread across the state of Oregon. And it's a voluntary program for families who want to participate. They can sign up to do that and receive services from a range of different programs that are in existence today. Yeah, absolutely. A nurse will come to their house if they so choose. It is completely voluntary and check in with them on how they're doing. And then the nurse will be able to both give them immediate, like, you need help making sure your baby is eating. You may need help, you know, dealing with a bad diaper rash or whatever is kind of immediate issue, a cough or something. But then they can also say, oh, you need help that I as a nurse can't provide you, but I know who can get you that help and I can connect you with them. So that's the goal. So connecting them to additional resources is part of that program built into it. Absolutely. And this <clears throat> Family Connects model has uh, been researched heavily in North Carolina, and we see this drop in emergency room visits in the first year after the program. And in fact, the savings in these emergency room visits alone more than pays for the program. So I think we should also give a shout out to uh, Senator Steiner Hayward, who uh, spearheaded this effort. She did uh, incredible work, and we're looking forward to seeing the implementation over the next two and four years statewide. Let's talk about childcare and what happened in terms of childcare policy, new efforts. Yes, absolutely. We have been pushing all session to establish a task force in Oregon to take a comprehensive look at child care and make a plan for how to improve it. We have a severe child care shortage in Oregon. Every county in the state is considered a child care desert for infants and toddlers. That means there are far too few infant and toddler child care spaces relative to the number of infants and toddlers who need child care in Oregon so that their families can um, work and bring home income and to support the whole family. So that's just one of many problems in childcare. We have the highest co-pays for families in our childcare system. Even if you do get help paying for childcare, you still have to pay such a high portion of the cost that most families can't even afford to participate in the subsidy program. And there are other issues. So this is our chance to take a complete look, make a plan for improving childcare in Oregon, bring that plan to the next session in 2021 and ask for that legislature to make the changes needed to support families more in this area. It's uh, <clears throat> such a huge effort. You know, it's difficult to say that in the wake of student success, gosh, we need more, but this is the area that was left out when it comes to early childhood. And so instead of rushing back to say, hey, let's uh, fund this more, let's instead through this task force, make a plan, make a reasonable argument with both Democrats and Republicans, because we know childcare is a bipartisan issue and it's something that every new parent faces. And so we know that we can build support for a redesigned and improved childcare system here in Oregon. Uh, I wanted to touch on, uh, there are a number of bills, many, many things that have been put in place that are designed to support working families. The Child Care Task Force is one of those. There's a bill that passed on paid family and medical leave. Can we talk about that a bit in the context of additional supports for parents and families? Yeah, House Bill 2005 created Oregon's paid family and medical leave. It sets up a system similar to uh, unemployment insurance where both employees and employers pay into a fund and everyone who is working in the state can then be eligible to receive leave for family emergencies, for the a new child coming to the home, sickness in the family. 
you know, these are things that are found around the world and unfortunately are pretty sparse here in the United States. And so this will be one of the best programs in the country when it's up and running. And we're Again, thanking our fellow advocates at uh, Family Forward for spearheading this effort. We should say that this paid family and medical leave program will take effect in 2023. So don't go rushing out and having a baby yet, <laughs> expecting this to be in place. A good point. <laughs> What's going to happen in the run-up to that implementation? What's happening over the next couple of years? Yeah, yeah. They'll need to um, actually set up the infrastructure to collect the revenue and set up all the rules around who will actually be eligible for what kind of events. You know, there were discussions like, you know, you don't always need medical leave all in a 12-week chunk. Sometimes you're going to chemotherapy or taking your spouse to chemotherapy and you need to go, you know, twice a month over the course of six months. And so they need to figure out all of the details of exactly who is going to be eligible, under what circumstances, what will be the processes by which you apply and are approved. And so all of that um, detail work needs to be figured out, and we need to put in place the mechanism to fund it and um, let that money flow into the account so that it will be there to pay out when people need it. And did you mention that there will be an income cutoff, or this will be anyone in the state will be eligible for these benefits? Well, the amount of paid leave that you receive will depend, of course, on your income, much like unemployment does. But one thing that Oregon is making sure it does is low-income workers will receive 100% of their income when they're in leave. Because what happens in some other states where they only receive a portion of their income, it makes it unaffordable for them to take the leave. So we're making sure that everyone is able to do it. So if you're a higher income, you'll receive a smaller portion of your salary, but nonetheless, it'll be affordable for them as well. Great. And I want to add too that this effort was a good bipartisan effort. The business community and several Republicans worked together in order to pass this legislation. Let's check in on the Student Success Act. Now that session is over, we are expecting that to be referred to voters. Talk about what's going to happen next. So the um, legislature did pass a bill to set up a special election if the Student Success Act, if there's a successful referendum to put that on the ballot. So that special election would take place January 21st, 2020. So now that session has ended, signature collectors have 90 days to collect the required number of signatures, which is something in the ballpark of 100,000. It's actually only 74,000. It's some percentage of the number of voters who voted in the last gubernatorial election, but it's about 74,000. Okay. So they have 90 days to collect those 74,000 signatures. Um, and if they are successful in the next 90 days in doing that, then we will have the opportunity to vote on the Student Success Act on January 21st, 2020. And to sustain that act, we'll want to vote yes on that ballot measure because we're saying, yes, we do want this $2 billion investment in early childhood through K-12 education. And just to be clear, if this is a yes-no vote on the bill, if it's no, this money does not hit classrooms and educators in the state of Oregon. The early child investments do not go through. So this is something that we're definitely interested in supporting. Absolutely. Technically, it is about the revenue, but of course, you don't have a program without the revenue. Right. And so uh, this time around, it's so important for people to recognize whether it's the early childhood program or their local K-12 district. These are critical investments that people are already working on in their communities and how to spend this money to benefit children in their community. 
And if this measure somehow fails, it's pulling the rug out of not only a lot of different people, a lot of children and, and the services they need and expect. I wanted to follow up. Uh, at one point, we talked about the need to protect funding for existing programs. The Student Success Act, of course, is new funding for these programs for education and for early childhood. How did that go at the end of session? Was funding for existing programs protected by the time session ended? Yes. So one of the bills that was just kind of sitting in the wings waiting for Senate Republicans to return to Salem and for those negotiations to play out was the Department of Education budget. And in that budget, there is money for early childhood special ed. There's money for um, preschool promise. There's money for Healthy Families Oregon home visiting, et cetera, et cetera, relief nurseries. And so that budget retained the existing levels of service in all of those key early childhood programs. There were some smaller cuts to a couple of early childhood line items. The early learning hubs take a small cut in state funds. They are going to get a little bit more in federal funds to kind of make up for that. Focused child care networks are a support for um, people who provide child care in their homes. Though That program took a small cut. So there were a couple of um, small cuts, but for the most part, the bulk of the funding was retained in that base budget. So truly, the Student Success Act dollars, when we all vote yes, will come in on top of those funds and add new children and families to the programs. Any other bills out of these 150 that got passed over the weekend that you want to touch on? <laughs> oh, well, there were so many. Yeah. I think you know, with Children First, we do a lot of work on uh, economic security issues, anti-poverty. Uh, we were excited to see driver's licenses for all people uh, pass. You know, So any Oregonian, whatever their documentation status, can get a type of driver's license to drive safely to and from work to provide for their family. There's, uh, of course, the tobacco referral a tobacco tax referral, which, like a handful of other bills, you know, faced a troubled future for this last weekend and passed on the last day. Unlike student success, this will be a, a vote that will be held in the fall of 2020, and this will allow voters opportunity whether we should raise our taxes to a similar level as Washington and California to help pay for needed healthcare services. Mm -hmm. Great. Dana, anything else? Yeah. The other one on my radar was a small expansion to the earned income tax credit, right. which just puts money back in families' pockets. And there was a small increase to Oregon's contribution to the earned income tax credit. And there's a little bump if you have a child age zero to three your earned income tax credit is a little bit higher than if you have an older child, and that was increased as well. So um, so that was another exciting and important final days bill for uh, children and families. I'd like to point out that <clears throat> allows us to catch up with Indiana and their uh, earned income tax credit. So we're now at 8% of the federal credit and 12% for <laughs> children under three. There's more work to do. There's always more work to do. It's really an impressive number of bills that went through the legislature this session in support of children and families. It's pretty impressive. I was in Chicago last week and meeting with advocates working in different states all over the country. Uh, many of them had questions about the Student Success Act and how it worked and how it got funded and were pretty impressed by the funding levels that came through as part of that. We talked about the paid 
family and medical leave. We're now the eighth state in the country to do that. And our when we do it, the program will look a little bit different and the benefits will really be some of the best in the country. Talk about what's happening in Oregon right now. What, is this, what does this feel like as two people who have been at this for a long time working in this way to, to get some of these kinds of things passed? What does it feel like at this point? Well, it's funny because I was recently at a national conference as well. And, you know, we're advocates. We agitate for funding for people who can't represent themselves, especially young children. And so I'm all ready to complain, but I realized, well, it's hard to hard to complain to other states right now when we just doubled the state investment in early childhood. We just passed a bill to remove exclusionary zoning in cities across the state. There's so many wonderful things that have moved forward. And, and it's our job to push on the things that didn't. And it's sometimes easy to linger there, but we should remember that this was a very successful session. And why is this time? Well, there's been a lot of work going in. We have a lot of legislators who fight hard for our causes. Absolutely. Um, this is a really exciting time in Oregon for young children and families, and we are making a truly historic investment. There's never been an increased investment at this level in children zero to five and their families in the state of Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so that is just awesome to be a small part of and really exciting. And I also have James's sentiment that as far as we've gotten this session, when we're this close to the work and talk with children and families across the state all the time, we know there's a lot more still to do. So, you know, we have 30,000 low-income children in the state who don't have access to preschool and a portion of the new money will get almost 3,000 of those kids preschool, but that still leaves 27,000 kids. Yeah. We are only serving a small percentage of families who need help paying for childcare with our subsidy for childcare. And we didn't make any headway on that this session. So historic moment. We're celebrating. We're eager for these dollars to hit communities and support children and families. And we're already starting to plan for what's next. I think that's... You know, the work of advocates never ends. It's, we're continually planning for the next session and and to hit the new biennium and think about what kinds of strategies we need to have in place to get there. Looking ahead, obviously in the short term, we need to pay attention to the referendum. We have to pay attention to that vote in January of 2020. What else do we need to be looking at or paying attention to in the next six months, year? I think one of the things we have to do is make sure these programs are implemented well. We have to demonstrate that it's a smart investment to invest in early childhood or the families that support them. And so we can't take our eye off the ball and make sure that everyone recognizes that the difference that these dollars uh, make in these children's lives. Absolutely. I'd say the other piece is you know, communities can't wait until the January vote on the Student Success Act to start making plans for what happens if that act passes. So this fall, school districts and early learning hubs are going to be asking their community to give them input about how they should spend the new dollars if they are allocated. So folks should be looking for those opportunities, connecting with community organizations that you know and trust and asking them when your chance is to weigh in and have your voice heard about how the dollars are prioritized in your community, and then get out and help us get people to vote yes. January 21st of 2020, then we can know that you're 
priorities will be put into action. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dana. James, it's great to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Please subscribe to our podcast. We've recently just been added to Spotify, and you can find us wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find episodes on our website at childinst.org. Thank you.